0: The reading tonight is from John chapter 20, verse 19 through to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, And put my hand into his side. I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him. My Lord and God. Then Jesus told him.
1: Just next Saturday you get married, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I plan to be there. <laughs> uh, just uh, a comment, a uh, follow-up comment to uh, Mike's prayer, mentioning this man, Assad Shah. Um, it's the custom all across the Middle East, and it's the custom in which country in countries that Sue and I and our family have lived that. Christians visit Muslims on their big feast days to wish them Eid Mubarak, a blessed festival, and that Muslims visit Christians on their big feast days, Christmas and Easter, to do just the same. And it doesn't matter what the political context is at the time, sometimes it's, sometimes it's more trouble than other times, but that has gone on for many, many decades, centuries of Christians visiting Muslims and Muslims visiting Christians on their festivals. And so what this man was doing was not provocative. It was not unusual. He was doing probably what he and his family had done for many, many decades, sending greetings at a Christian festival to his friends and neighbors. So that's what makes this particularly tragic and particularly painful, I I think, uh, that those traditional customs those traditional customs of hospitality and of, uh, and of ac- uh, acceptance which have kept the Middle East glued together for a long time. Um, you know, to have it torn apart like this is, is particularly distressing. So we should pray for the people of Glasgow and we should pray for our, our country at these troubled times. Let's, let's pray as we begin our reflection together. Father, we Thank you for this wonderful and special day when we celebrate the utterly unique and unprecedented uh, intervention of your grace into our human history in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, bringing confidence that death itself is not the final winner and that our sin and brokenness is not the final winner either, but that your love, your grace and your new life. Or what will win through in the long term we thank you for this and we pray for your help as we reflect together now in Jesus name amen the the title for this uh, reflection together is easter why does it matter i think it's imp- rather important that we have answers of some kind to that that question. Seems to me that the understanding of our two great Christian festivals in our society, uh, the the gap is widening. I think there is still some general understanding of what Christmas is about. Um, But I think Easter, the gap between what Christians think, believe, uh, live by, proclaim, um, and what our surrounding society understands is is getting uh, very wide indeed. And I think the the basics of our story, uh, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and of his resurrection from the dead uh, would not be common parlance for for many, many people around us. So I think it's really important for us to have some basic things that, that we can say uh, that, uh, about what Christians believe and are committed to at this time and to have some, gra- some way of explaining them because they seem uh, to, to many people to be uh, beyond uh, their, their comprehension. I'd like to do that this evening by talk, telling two stories. One is uh, a story which has some personal uh, connection. I was on the periphery of it. Um, and the other, the story we read from uh, the Gospel of John. So let me just share with you the, the, the first story because I think it's, it brings to light so the, the, some of the real, serious importance of, of the Easter story and its relevance uh, to, to our daily lives. It goes back some while. It goes back to when I lived in Nairobi, uh, and it goes back to the year 1977, and. In that year I managed to uh, con my way, somehow get a ticket, somehow uh, find entrance to a conference of African church leaders that took place in Nairobi um, and people came from all over the continent for a, a very large gathering and somehow I managed to uh, get in on that and to hear many interesting talks and sessions. One of the treasures, one of the precious things about that was an opportunity that just came my way briefly to just shake the hand and have a few words with the Archbishop of Uganda at the time, who was a delightful and wonderful man called Janani Luwum, And he was uh, attending the conference, and we had no conversation. But I I shook his hand, and uh, and we greeted each other briefly. We got a photograph of this wonderful man. so that face, that, that photograph, which is actually quite a well known photograph, captures uh, his, his humor, his uh, affectionate style, his, uh, captures the delight of the man. That was February uh, 1977. Um, he left there and went back to Uganda, and two weeks later, he was dead. He went back to confront uh, President. Idi Amin, the military dictator of Uganda at that time, he went back to confront him uh, about the killings and the murders that were taking place all over Uganda uh, and had been doing so for some years after he'd seized power. As a result of that, he was arrested and uh, accused of of high treason. And then within a, a few days, the news came out that he, he was dead. The story from the government was that he and a couple of government ministers who had also been uh, arrested had, uh, were being driven for interrogation, and they tried to seize control of their, their car, and it had overturned, and everyone had been killed. In fact, eyewitnesses, uh, who, whose testimonies emerged over time, had seen the archbishop's body riddled with gunshot wounds. And there are quite well substantiated stories that he was shot uh, in the head by Idi Amin himself. A terrible, terrible story, which shocked uh, Uganda, well it shocked the world, but it shocked Ugandans profoundly, uh, and Christians uh, were shaken right to their roots by this, because although terrible things had happened in in, uh, Uganda over recent years, the just the open, cynical murder of their archbishop was, was, was something beyond their expectation and comprehension. So the church was profoundly shocked. They were going to hold a burial service, a funeral service and a burial service, at the cathedral in Namirembe. Uh, this is a fabulous, a lovely building. I um, found this, this picture here. Um, it's a lovely, lovely building, and in front of it, that's the west end there, and just out of the picture to the left, there is a, a small little cemetery um, where some of the uh, heroes of the Ugandan church are buried, some of the great missionary heroes as well, as well as the national Ugandans. It's a, a very significant little uh, cemetery. And they, they dug a hole for the grave. They dug a big hole uh, in the cemetery there, ready to receive Uh, the body of the archbishop. At that point the government realized that this could all go seriously wrong and they took uh, the archbishop's body away and buried it secretly in northern Uganda. Eventually it was dug up again and buried in his home village but at that point nobody knew where the archbishop's body was. So the Christian people of the Cathedral of Kampala gathered on the Sunday morning for their morning worship which was to be followed by the the burial and funeral service of their Archbishop. The problem was they had no body to bury and so there was a grief-stricken and uh, uh, thoroughly depressed uh, service of morning worship in the Cathedral nobody knowing what to do, what would happen next, Um, just confusion and bewilderment. At the end of the service people began to drift out of the church they came out of the cathedral at West End and down those steps and into the cemetery and found themselves standing round the open grave. At the end of the service the previous archbishop of Uganda a man called Erika Sabiti um, came down out of the church and stood on the top of those, those steps there. And suddenly, he and everyone there knew what they were looking at. They were looking at an empty grave. And the archbishop, in a loud ringing voice, which people still remember, cried out, he is not here, he is risen. And at that moment, the entire atmosphere of the occasion was transformed from depression, and fear, and bewilderment, uh, even blind terror. It was turned to a, a place of faith and of understanding. He is not here. He is risen. It it's occurred to me that three things were being said in that moment, three really important things. Uh, I, I wasn't there, uh, though the, I was in Nairobi and the story came out to Nairobi and it's uh, stayed with me ever since. Three things, I think, were being said that were really important. He is not here, he is risen, was first of all a statement about Jesus. It was first of all a, a, a statement of faith in the resurrection, that Jesus himself was Lord, he was risen from the dead, and he was greater, he was above uh, this terrible situation and he was still in control. It was first of all a statement about the lordship of Jesus. He is not here, he is not dead, he is risen. It was secondly a statement about Janani that we should not despair like those who have no hope, as Paul says, but rather we can trust that Janani, despite his Uh, wretched death at the hands of a a murderous dictator uh, was safe in the presence of God and that we can trust for his resurrection, his life with God, and for our own. We need not live in fear. And the third statement, was the third thing which has come home to me about this is that it was also a statement to the president. It was also a statement to Idi Amin as well. That he could persecute, he could murder he could shoot archbishops he could drown his country in blood as he was doing at that time but he would not win there was a greater authority a greater power he is not dead he is not here, he is risen Christ was risen Janani Lawum himself was not obliterated, he was safe in God's presence as were Christian people and E.D. Armin would not win. I think all those things are really important truths to get hold of. And I think it's it's how our faith as Christians and our faith in uh, Easter and the resurrection is something we can talk about more confidently uh, in in our daily lives where we meet when people want to know what this Easter thing is about. It is about the confidence that Christ is is alive and that he is earth's true Lord and that he is in control of things that seem to be way out of control. And secondly, that we are alive with him and that we don't fear death and we are confident of being held beyond death in the presence of God. And thirdly, that the final word does not rest with the forces of violence and terror and power and oppression in this world but they rest with the one who has been raised from the dead I find that story it's one of those stories that has shaped my life shaped my thinking and which I come back to uh, from time to time I think it illustrates the powerful heart of the Christian gospel I think it illustrates why, What it illustrates for me why I'm a Christian, and why I keep walking that way, because I think these things are powerful. I think they're true. I think they change the world we're in, and I think we can live by them. The second story, just to uh, look at uh, also rather briefly, the story we read uh, from John's Gospel. It's the story of Easter evening, and it's the story of the disciples in the upper room and their first encounter with the risen Lord. What had preceded this? Well, in the first part of the chapter, as we reflected this morning in our morning service, um, the day of Easter had begun, the women had gone to the tomb, they had found it empty, they had an encounter with angelic voices who uh, spoke to them about the Lord not being there, about him being risen, Mary had her own encounter with the risen Lord, with Jesus, and they ran back to tell the disciples uh, that they had seen the Lord. The whole revolution of Easter was underway. The problem was the disciples didn't really receive it, didn't really accept it, didn't believe the testimony of their women, and they were still in their upper room with the doors locked afraid that the soldiers who had come to get Jesus just a few days ago might come to get them as well. They were unable to receive the message. They, ha- they were still locked in fear. They were still locked behind closed doors. They were fearful, depressed, and turned in on themselves. The tragic situation is that very often Christian people find themselves in just that situation, that there is a rumour about the power of the gospel, there is a rumour about the power of Christ, there is a rumour about the power of the Holy Spirit, but it hasn't come home, it hasn't been received, and as it were, the doors are locked for fear. Even Christian people can find themselves in that position individually and as communities. The wonder of this story that we're reflecting on this evening is how that opens up how that situation is turned around and transformed. I just want to touch on six things very quickly. Six things which transform that situation and turned that community from being paralyzed by fear, locked in, turned it into a a community of confidence and of love and of mission and of outreach. This is the first, that the story begins uh, with the doors locked, People just huddled together in fear. No future ahead of them. No plans. Nowhere to go. And we read, Jesus came and stood among them. Two things there. Jesus came and he stood among them. I I love that phrase, actually. The simple phrase, Jesus came. It comes in a number of the resurrection stories. uh, Introducing an encounter with the risen Lord it comes twice in this story it comes later uh, when Thomas uh, was with the group a week later Jesus came and stood among them that that says two things it speaks about the coming of Jesus to his people the risen Lord his distinctive act what what the risen Lord does is to come to his people what the risen Jesus loves to do is to come to his people he comes amongst us and in this church across the years we have known that many 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 times how the risen lord comes amongst his people and in various ways we discern discover and receive that that coming but it is always amongst us it's a community thing yes we encounter jesus personally and individually but what's emphasized here is that he comes amongst us. He is with us all as, as community. The risen Lord came and stood amongst them. He still comes. And he still comes amongst his people. Remember that. Come here with that expectation when you come to worship. Have that expectation when you meet in a house group or a life group or whatever groups you have for prayer and fellowship. Remember that the distinctive act of the risen Lord is to come and to come amongst his people. It's what he loves to do. Expect it. Look for it. Learn the skills of identifying it, of recognizing when it's so. Number one, Jesus came and stood amongst them. And he said peace be with you. He says that also in a number of the resurrection appearances. He says it twice in this passage. Peace be with you. It's the distinctive greeting of the risen Lord to wish upon his people to bless them with peace. It's what he does. He comes, he comes amongst them, and he blesses them with peace. the very commodity they don't have they're locked away they're in fear they don't know what's going to happen next they've lost their purpose they've lost all forward momentum they're going nowhere and Jesus comes and speaks peace and courage and changes their outlook their outlook becomes one of hope and of confidence and of courage and of faith The third aspect just needs a little bit more teasing out. It just needs a little more explanation. Jesus knows that this is an overwhelming, uh, uh, totally bewildering and overwhelming experience that is happening to his followers now as they encounter him, the other side of death and the other side of the cross. And he points them to the wounds of crucifixion he points them to his hands and his feet. Thomas is not with them on this occasion and is reasonably enough sceptical of what he hears. And when he comes to them a week later, Jesus says, Thomas, come, put your fingers in the wounds. Put your hand into my side that was pierced by by the spear. Come and see. What's true of this story is true of the other resurrection stories as well and although they're written by different writers and sometimes the stories have differences that we can't mesh together uh, exactly, they have this in common that we are to understand that this is not about uh, dreams and visions and hallucinations because this is the physical presence of Jesus of Nazareth who had last been seen dead on the cross of Calvary. That's why the language of the empty tomb is really important, because the language of the empty tomb says to us, there is no body to be found. There are no bones, remains, on any Palestinian hillside to be found, because the body of Jesus is the body that is now raised in some new kind of glorified life we may find it very difficult to get our heads around this to understand this but the gospel writers are all united in offering to us this comp- this complex and this difficult uh, understanding that the experience the disciples had was truly jesus of nazareth crucified now restored to life and present amongst them there is an empty tomb. There is no body to be found. But the presence of Christ that is with them now is more than a body restored to life. It is transcendent. It is transformed. It has capacity, glory, and potential way beyond the, the sheer physical body that Jesus of Nazareth had possessed. It is a demonstration of God's new creation. It is a demonstration of the fulfillment of life that he wishes to bring into the world and which is made possible through the cross and which is available to those who follow Jesus Christ. We are invited into the risen life that Jesus exhibits from Easter Day. It's a m- major subject which needs to be uh, explained and teased out in detail but this is what I want to leave you with this evening that the risen Jesus whom the disciples encountered we need to clearly understand is Jesus of Nazareth crucified by Pontius Pilate raised by the power of God to new life and that that new life demonstrates who he is as God's son as the Messiah as the one in whom God is truly present and in whom his new life and new creation are are demonstrated. Our hope is that we begin to participate in that eternal life, to use the language of John's Gospel, in that new creation to participate in the life that God makes possible through Christ. We begin to participate in that, and we look forward to the day when our participation will be complete when with Janani Luwum we enter into the joy of our Lord and we enter into resurrection life and into new creation. Much more to be said about that, but that's what I want to leave you with this evening. Jesus came and stood amongst them. He said to them, Peace be with you. And the Jesus who was with them was the Jesus they had known, now living uh, a life of transcendent glory. Number four, the risen Jesus gives the Spirit to his people so that we can begin to live this new life. The first thing we read, uh, or one of the early things we say, we read in this passage is this: that uh, Jesus said again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The risen Lord is the giver of the Holy Spirit. That is the fundamental truth about the Holy Spirit that the church always proclaims that Jesus is the giver. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which God's life comes to dwell within us and we begin the journey of entering into eternal life, resurrection life, And our journey uh, into the life of God. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, And as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So he says to his disciples, I give you my peace. I give you my peace, and I give you the Holy Spirit to begin the work of transformation in your life. And I send you into the world as the Father sent me. So no more locked doors. No more locked doors, no no more cowering for fear. Those doors need to be opened because I have given you the Holy Spirit so that you may live in the world, continuing the work that I have begun. That's number five. And the last one, number six, is the response of Thomas to his encounter with Jesus on this occasion. He bows in worship and says my Lord and my God. Jesus came and stood among them. He said to them, Peace be with you. My peace I give give to you. It was truly Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross under Pontius Pilate, who was present, transformed and living God's new creation life. And it is this Jesus who breathes his spirit on his people and sends them into the world to continue the work that he began. And our response is one of worship, my Lord and my God. And this chapter finishes with an assurance for people like you and me that these things are not just for those who were present on that first Easter evening, but for all those like us who have not seen, but yet have believed. And these things have been written that you, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is resurrection faith.